Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we're pleased to be joined by Lori Brown. She is executive director of the Connecticut League of Conservation Voters. Good morning to you, Lori. Good morning, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Tell us what the League of Conservation Voters does. The League of Conservation Voters is a statewide nonprofit, and we're bipartisan. And what we do is we make sure that environmental issues are a top priority for our state elected leaders and lawmakers. And so we work uh, with advocates and all the groups and the organizations that want to pass solid environmental policies at the state level. We work with all of those environmental leaders and those groups throughout the legislative session and throughout the year. And so we work on a range of issues, whether it's open space, clean water, clean air, uh, sustainable transportation, clean energy, bonding, regulations, whatever it is, that session that the groups are working on, we help identify the full agenda. And at the beginning of every session, we bring together in our annual environmental summit every every um, uh, January before session, uh, we bring advocates, lawmakers, and members of the administration together to sort of talk about what are the big issues that need to be addressed this session. And each session we do that. So we all start out generally on the same page, understanding what's out there. We don't all agree on everything, but we absolutely know what's going to be before lawmakers and before the administration every year. So with that, we we can identify and tee up for legislators what priorities they need to be um, uh, paying attention to. And so that's how we get the information and get the information out to lawmakers and, and establish the agenda. But then we have to hold them accountable. So we also have what's called an environmental scorecard. And at the end of every session, we rate them. We rate lawmakers. We give them a score of zero to 100 percent. And that's based on how many times they voted in a pro-environment way on a bill, or they can vote against a bill and they would get marked down for that. So they get a score like 80% or 90% um, every session. And it's not just, it's kind of black and white, but it's the only tool of its kind really to be able to know how your lawmakers are doing on the environment. And if that's something that you care about, then that's also something that you can consider when you're casting your uh, 
vote on election day. We also endorse candidates that are pro-environment candidates for public office from both sides of the aisle. And uh, we do believe that, you know, environment is absolutely a bipartisan, should be bipartisan. It should not be part of partisan bickering. And we really work very hard to make sure that um, lawmakers um, have every opportunity to, to do right by the environment. And I think our constituents, you know, all expect that from our leaders. So that's how we sort of enter the session. So the session is over. This first special session is over. I understand there's a second one coming, but now it's time for the league and a lot of other groups to tally your wins, tally your losses and the incompletes from the session. Tell us about some of your key wins this session. This session was absolutely dominated by two big issue areas. And one of them is climate change. And uh, the other had to do with waste and recycling management, waste management. So there were quite a few bills that uh, would have done things that would have reduced emissions from uh, vehicles, um, heavy trucks, increased electric vehicle sales. Um, It would have codified uh, the governor's executive order to have a zero emission electric grid. There were quite a few things that started out this um, and looked really promising at the beginning of session. Um, On the waste side, there was uh, a number of recommendations that had been put together by the Sustainable Materials Management. It was a Connecticut coalition of like 75 towns and the DEP that put together recommendations on how to deal with this crisis that we're having on waste management. Those recommendations involved like the bottle bill, which has not been modernized in 40 years. I mean, we have um, a recycling program in our state, which is a landmark bottle bill uh, recycling program that is a deposit system. And it has not been modernized in decades. And it's been many, many years in the making to get modernized deposit amounts, um, handling fees. The expansion of the types of bottles and cans is very different now than what it was 40 years ago. So everything that changes, believe it or not, are recycling system has to be changed in statute by law, by lawmakers. It doesn't just sort of change itself. So the amount of the deposit, the amount that's paid for uh, handling and recycling it, the types of bottles, uh, you know, right down to the fact that, you know, we didn't have all this teas and juices and carbonated beverages. We didn't have a lot of that back when the the list was established. So the bottle bill was one of the the centerpiece wins of what took place this session. So it now expands the types of containers. It increases the deposit from five to 10 cents, which we know based on where this works in many other states, our very, very low recycling rate is under 50% right now. And this in the first year or two is going to bump it up to 80%, 90% because this just massively changes the whole dynamic around recycling. So that's a really big deal. Um, the other thing on the, the important thing is that it increases the convenience for recycling. So it will require a lot more of the um, stores to have Uh, you know, the RVMs, the return vending machines where you drop your bottle in the machine, but also it's going to um, increase what is called the handling fee. And so that will encourage and support opening many new independent um, redemption centers where you can bring entire, you know, truckloads of recyclables. So that's a big deal. They did not do NIPS. 
those little miniature alcohol bottles. They've got to come back and do that. They put a fee on those, not a redemption fee, a redeemable amount. So we know that that doesn't help clean up the nips. But the other thing that they did not do was the liquor and wine. So again, these are things they're going to have to come back and work on more. But this was a huge step forward. And there's more to be designed in terms of the stewardship of this whole program. So we've got a lot of work on that. The other big win was PFAS. And if you remember PFAS, that is the chemical that's used in firefighting foam. And they had that huge spill back in 2019 in the summer um, of, of the firefighting foam into the Farmington River. It's hugely toxic, very bad for health, bad for drinking water. They're called the PFAS or the polyfluoral alkyls. And it's a class of chemical that is incredibly dangerous for your health and for the environment. And it's called a forever chemical because they are very difficult to get out of the environment. They accumulate in your body. They cause all kinds of health issues. Um, and it's been a fight against really essentially the chemical industry against the advocates. But when the um, legislature failed to, to deal with PFAS, it was several, only a few days prior to the big spill. So right before the legislature ended in 2019 and did not take up this same bill, um, the, the spill happened. And so since then, all kinds of things have been you know, kicked up a notch. And finally, after many, many years um, of working on this, the um, legislation went through that would ban it, the firefighting phone that's used for training. So that's a big deal. And it also bans it in consumer packaging because PFAS is found in everything, in your cookware, in your clothing, in your children's toys, in fabrics, in cosmetics. It's everywhere and it gets into your body and you don't necessarily know it's there because it's not like a test that you run in a typical fashion, right? So everyone's uh, wells, it turns out, you know, just recently, people's wells and their water sources are seriously contaminated. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done to even assess how much is out there and how it's affecting, you know, the public. But the bill that just passed deals with the consumer packaging issue and the firefighting foam issue. And so now the DEEP and you know, DEEP, Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, and the Department of Public Health, they're now going to take the next steps to sort of figure out, okay, are they going to have to adjust the drinking water standards, for example? And so the next step beyond this then will probably be cosmetics or textiles. But this is a huge step in, in the right direction. So those are two really important wins. Going back to the bottle bill, when do these changes take effect? Should I be stockpiling all my cans that are worth five cents now? Will they be worth 10 cents uh, when this kicks in? <laughs> That's funny. No, they actually do phase. They're, they're phasing in in a way that, you know, this was all negotiations last minute um, changes. And so some of the switching around might still need to be adjusted. But when you phase in um, the deposit versus phasing in expanding the numbers of, uh, of you know, bottles and cans that are going to be redeemed at what price, I have to go back and really kind of look again at the sequence, but it was very thoughtful in the way it got put in. No, you don't want to be hoarding. <laughs> you don't want to be hoarding your bottles and cans. Um, and the redemption centers are always, you know, open and have stayed open. They were considered to be priority, um, you know, um, services that were required to stay open during the pandemic. 
they never closed. But the redemption centers, you know, that uh, I mean, the RVMs that are in like the grocery stores and and that was for a period of time closed. And that was a big that was a big deal because when it when those closed, we never realized just how important they were for our waste stream and how much you know people really depended on those. And so we fought even harder to make sure that we had good modernization and the convenience factor as well as an equity factor um, in terms of how the language was written so that we can make sure that if you're increasing the deposit from five to 10 cents, that will certainly bump up how much people recycle and actually not in the blue bin, but you know, take it back and get their money back. But you need to make sure that there's easy places for lower income communities that are less served by these redemption centers. So people have to have the ease and ability to return the bottles to get their money back. And that was a big factor when this bill was designed. We wanted to be sure that it didn't inequitably, you know, raise um, the cost of beverages for lower income or underserved communities um, without increasing their ability to get that money back. So that was a big deal. Um, there's also going to be a grant program for particular communities, women and, and minorities will be able to access that to actually start their own businesses locally for redemption centers. You are listening to so Face we- Connecticut. We are talking to Lori Brown, executive director of the Connecticut League of Conservation Voters. Now, there's there's a pot of money. It's the difference between the deposit that's collected and the deposit that is returned to the consumer when they bring the bottle back, because not 100% of the bottles are going to get returned. What happens to that money now? And does this legislation change where that money goes? Yes, it does. Uh, Yes, that was one of the things that, you know, industry um, had been fighting against the bottle bill, even modernizing it and just wanted to do away with it because they were no longer at one point the state considered the unredeemed deposits as actual sheets unclaimed property are sheets and so they went back to the state and at that at that point that's when the real battle sort of began um, with the industry and the wholesalers and retailers that were trying to basically get rid of our bottle bill altogether. And so what this does now, there's a split, like an 80-20 split, and that changes over time to where um, a percentage of it goes back to um, the whole, the, you know, to the manufacturer or wholesaler. Um, and the other pieces of it can help pay for uh, the grant programs and for other things that, you know, would help a recycling program be effective. And so those, again, those phase over time. Now on the issue of the, the nips, the little liquor bottles, that is a, a fee. Some will call it a tax. That is not a deposit. And proponents have said this is supposed to help clean up the the nips that are are littering our our roadsides and and other areas but it sounds as if you might not be convinced that's going to help a lot right well the nips have been uh, interestingly enough you know um that is something that has infuriated lawmakers to no end And, and every time when we've been interviewing you know legislators they and talk about the bottle bill and recycling they all get very animated when you talk about nips because Everybody sees them everywhere. They're a real problem. The litter and the cost of litter and getting those off the road, off the roadways, out of the parks, out of the ocean, that all falls on the municipalities. And so what they did was 
rather than do nothing on NIPS, they put that five cent fee and that will go into a fund that then will be distributed to the towns to help them, you know, with certain conditions to do what they need to do to try to reduce the litter. Now, um, the position of the advocates is that, you know, that still is not the incentive that you need to have them stop being thrown out the car window, right? The only way you're going, I mean, you, you could eliminate the nips off the roads like overnight if you put a five cent deposit on those. I mean, it, it just didn't work out that way. Industry would not, did not want it. And they, at the end of the day, the compromise was struck to get that five cent. So yeah, we never had asked for that. And and the same thing with um, the glass and, uh, you know, the, the heavy glass, the wine and liquor definitely needs to be you know, it has to be brought into the system because it's heavy, it's expensive, it breaks. And so the value of it goes down when it's just tossed into the recycling bin. And again, it was, it, they were not able to work out the compromise on how to make that happen this time. So again, they've got to come back and fix these things and do some adjustments. Another big topic this session was TCI, the Transportation Climate Initiative, which the way I understand it would have been a, a cap and trade program to raise money for environmental initiatives and cut down on pollution. Do I have that right? It's actually a cap and invest, which is different. It's a cap and invest. And what this this whole program has been um, designed over the last 10 years. There's been extensive modeling. It's not something that just got cooked up this year. I can tell you that. Um, there, uh, We are and have signed on to an MOU with uh, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and D.C. So there are a number of other states that are trying to get along into this program. They're hovering and they're trying, they've agreed to sort of work towards this, but Connecticut was one of the first to come out alongside, as I said, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and, and DC, our neighbors immediately. And we, between us, really produce something like 70% of the transportation emissions in our region. So the three of our states joining forces to reduce emissions through transportation initiatives is gigantic for climate change. So the fact that, you know, our our leadership really did fail us on this front. I mean, the House, the Senate and the governor's office, by not acting on this, they really it was a huge loss for climate, for health, for equity and for our economy and jobs. I mean, the infrastructure that this thing would end up um, pushing uh, and funding for green jobs and green sustainable infrastructure um, for transportation is, you know, um, a loss that is not going to go away. We're certainly not done. Just because they were not able to pass it during the regular session doesn't mean we're not going to get there. And, uh, you know, the Rhode Island just passed it yesterday. And uh, Massachusetts shows every sign of moving forward. So we really are, we, we need our lawmakers to get to get moving on this. And I think that now, um, now that TCI is not tangled up in budget negotiations, people are actually having a chance to look at it. And I think most people just did not understand how it worked. And lawmakers, for different reasons, had not really had an opportunity to sort of fully vet it or ask all the questions or find out what the actual on-the-ground benefits would be for their constituents in their districts. I mean, there's a, a lot of um, misinformation that the fossil fuel industry has been fighting 
um, TCI has been fighting, publicly fighting these changes, but it's a market-based system that is going to incentivize reductions in emissions. And it has caps on it to keep the costs um, from being passed on entirely from you know, fossil fuel industry that's making all this money and causing the pollution um, to not just simply pass that cost along to the consumer. So the modeling uh, around the finances for TCI has taken all that into account, consumer behavior, industry behavior, and has estimated that, that this would end up bringing in in the first year, which would not start for about two years, in the first year in the order of 90 to $100 million, which then goes directly back into programs that would either, for example, anything that, that would benefit, there's something in it for everyone. I mean, if you're in a in an urban community that has high air pollution next to transit corridor um, and your kids have the highest asthma rate in the nation, you know, in that area, this is, for example, could be matching funds to provide electric school buses, low emission school buses. If you're out in the rural area and you're heavily relying on your car, but you're a senior and you don't drive anymore, you know, this could help fund like transit buses geared for seniors that don't have cars anymore. I mean, there's all kinds of things. If you're a commuter, this will help pay for um, improving mass transit. And, um, you know, then there's the pedestrians and the biking, bikeways and bike paths. There's just so many things for so many different um, interests in our state. So it, the whole goal is to cap emissions. I mean, that's what it's all about. And the difference between this and just a tax on gas is that this actually guarantees emissions to be reduced over time. And it puts the industry, gives them some skin in the game. So they now are incentivized to find ways to reduce their emissions. And they can do it. Technology's there. They can, there's all kinds of things they can do. So this incentivizes that. And the way it works is that they would have to buy allowances. So the fossil fuel, the folks benefiting from gas and oil production and sale, they would be helping to pay for the pollution that they're causing. And so they would have to buy allowances that would incentivize them to start reducing their pollution because you have to buy the allowances to cover the amount of pollution that you would be causing. So all of this has been really modeled out. And I, I think, unfortunately, um, this became, you know, the hardline uh, partisan battle um, and it got tangled up in the budget. And so um, now that the budget is done, I think we're having people that are really interested in seeing this move forward in our state. Hey, you're going to be leaving a lot of money on the table. All of our neighboring states, all the ARPA money, all the matching funds that we need to come up with to tap into federal funds. And believe me, they take they need matching funds from our state. This provides that. So you, we, Connecticut would really lose out if we do not find a way to get in and continue our efforts to get the fully, you know, fully functioning TCI program up and running in our state as soon as possible. We don't have a, we don't have time to wait. This was painted as a, a gas tax increase in disguise by opponents. What would it do to to gasoline prices? So that's part of the modeling, and the modeling takes into account that if all of the, all of the industry passed along the cost to the consumer, it would increase gas prices by approximately five cents, and it just fluctuated by that. You know, this past week, I mean, that's you know, my gas and my car just went up thirty cents. Um, so what you 
what you have is that, again, if you had a gas tax, all that does is take money from you. There's nothing that you get back for it. There's no investments and there's no programs. And it, there's certainly no incentive for the fossil fuel producers and sale, sellers to reduce their emissions. So with um, the um, modeling that was shown, if everybody passed on, if they passed on that cost, it would uh, likely be five cents within the normal range of variance. And there are cost containment provisions. So for example, if the modeling turns out to not be quite right, or it goes up faster than thought, there's um, like, for, they could sell, for example, more allowances, which would keep it capped at nine cents. So it would never go over the nine cents. And again, the both the emissions would go down over time. And so you would have fewer emissions, fewer allowances. And um, it's just a win-win for Connecticut. She is Lori Brown, Executive Director of the Connecticut League of Conservation Voters. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. And if there's any um, information that people would like at ctlcb.org, you can find out more about all of the environmental bills that were on the table this year. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.